0: I'm tired of marching. Tired of marching for something that should have been mine at first. I don't mind saying to you tonight.
1: From American Public Media, this is King's Last March. I'm Stephen Smith.
2: And I'm Kate Ellis, a co-producer of this series.
0: I don't mind saying to you tonight... I'm tired of living every day under the threat of death. I have no matter complex. I want to live as long as anybody in this building tonight. And sometimes I begin to doubt whether I'm going to make it through. I must confess I'm tired.
2: Another thing that made Martin Luther King Jr. so tired in his final years was that he had been relentlessly pursued by the FBI for most of his public life. The head of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, directed an extensive surveillance and harassment campaign against King. The purpose? To undermine King's power as a leader. FBI agents followed King for years. They secretly recorded him. They threatened him. They hounded him almost everywhere he went.
1: King had been on the Bureau's radar since he took the national stage in the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955.
0: For several weeks now, we, the Negro citizens of Montgomery, have been involved in a nonviolent protest against uh, the injustices which we have experienced on the buses for a number of years.
1: At first, the agency merely collected routine public information about King and his organization, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the SCLC. But King attracted new notice in the early 1960s when he stepped into a leading role in the Freedom Rides. He supported activists who rode buses across state lines to protest segregated transportation.
0: The first of what apparently will be an all-out effort to test the segregation barriers of Mississippi took place this afternoon. A trailways bus with 12 self styled freedom riders arrived in this capital city of Mississippi, hardcore of segregation.
2: It was then that Hoover demanded all the information the Bureau had on King, which wasn't much. On a May 1961 memo reporting that King had not been investigated, Hoover wrote, Why not? He added, Let me have more details.
0: The growing menace of communism arouses the House of Representatives Un American Activities Committee. Among the well-informed witnesses testifying is J. Edgar Hoover, head of the Federal Bureau of Investigation.
1: Mr. Hoover speaks with authority on the subject. J. Edgar Hoover created the modern FBI and ran it for nearly half a century. Hoover saw himself and the Bureau as the appointed guardians of an established social order. Hoover's mission was to go after anyone he considered a subversive, especially those he suspected of siding with communism.
0: Communist Party of the United States is a fifth column, if there ever was one. It is far better organized than were the Nazis in occupied countries prior to their capitulation. They are seeking to weaken America, just as they did in their era of of obstruction when they were aligned with the Nazis. Their goal is the overthrow of our government.
1: Hoover collected dirt on public officials and private citizens. He built a vast set of files on the famous and the obscure. And he was obsessed with King. It would not be an exaggeration to say that Hoover hated King. In official bureau memos, Hoover would refer to King as the burrhead, his favorite racial slur for the civil rights leader.
2: For the most part, Hoover kept his animus toward King private. But in 1964, his distaste became public. In April of that year, King publicly criticized the Bureau for not doing more to protect African Americans in the Deep South. King said the FBI was, quote, "...completely ineffectual in resolving the continued mayhem and brutality against them." King charged that Hoover was more concerned with the alleged communist infiltration of the movement than with finding the criminals responsible for church bombings. Weeks later, at the opening of a new FBI field office in Mississippi, Hoover responded.
1: We certainly do not and will not give protection to civil rights workers. In the first place, the FBI is not a police organization. It's purely an investigative organization. And the protection of individual citizens, either natives of the state or coming into the state, is a matter for the local authorities.
3: The FBI will not participate in any such protection. The communists in this country,
0: had organized very intensely uh, a drive to infiltrate into the racial uh, discord and discontent in the country.
2: Hoover would go a step further. In late 1964, he told reporters that King was the most notorious liar in the country.
1: Dr. King, what
0: is your reaction to the charges made by J. Edgar Hoover? Well, I was quite shocked and surprised to learn of this statement from Mr. Hoover questioned in my integrity. And very frankly, I don't understand what motivated the statement.
1: Hoover kept a steady stream of intelligence on King, flowing to the president, first Kennedy and then Johnson. Uh, King
0: has, uh, uh, was told by uh, his principal advisor, who is a secret communist, that he has more to gain nationally by agreeing with the violence that is coming out against it as the president is afraid at this time and is willing to make, uh, make concessions uh, for it. King said that the worst has not yet happened in this country.
1: Hoover saw the civil rights movement as one of the greatest threats to the stability of the American government since the Civil War. To him, Martin Luther King was an enemy of the state.
2: Hoover's aim was to, quote, neutralize King as an effective Negro leader. He wanted to expose King as an immoral opportunist and a Marxist.
1: With the approval of Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy, the FBI began bugging King's home and office in 1963. Andrew Young was in the leadership of the SCLC at the time.
0: We know that Hoover, from 1963, when Martin won the Nobel Prize, right straight on through, did everything he could to undercut, uh, subvert, and sabotage our
1: movement. So we were operating under that kind of pressure all the time. The Bureau failed to find evidence of communist influence in the movement, so the FBI's focus shifted to King's private life. The Bureau extended its wiretapping operation on King's home, offices, and hotel rooms. Agents recorded King's most intimate moments. Historian David Garrow wrote a book about King and the FBI.
3: What came to motivate the Bureau's animus towards King from 63 on through 66? was a a very sort of high-handed or or paternalistic moralism ostensibly grounded in in the FBI's uh, astonishment, thanks to all of their electronic surveillance, that King had such an active and randy private sex life.
2: David Garrow uncovered a lot of what we know about the FBI's surveillance of King. His study of secret FBI communications shows that Hoover and others at the FBI saw King's private life in racialized terms. Official memos would often refer to King as a beast and an animal.
1: The Bureau wasn't getting actionable intelligence about King from the wiretaps. Still, it continued the surveillance. The purpose now? To use it in a smear campaign. From
3: 63 through 66, the FBI is is garnering a very rich record, uh, both of, of King's private sexual relationships and of his uh, quite hilarious proclivity towards, towards off-color humor. And the FBI is distributing accounts of that all around the federal government, not just to the White House, and is also Distributing somewhat less detailed accounts of that to uh, American church leaders, uh, American business leaders, and in the process doing a, a great deal of serious harm to Dr. King's personal reputation, even though none of this ever publicly broke print at any point during King's lifetime.
2: Over the years, FBI agents approached various newspaper editors. They offered to supply evidence on King's extramarital affairs. All of the papers gave the story a pass. Even the editor of the then-segregationist Augusto Chronicle refused to bite.
1: When the FBI smear campaign failed to gain traction publicly, the Bureau found other uses for the salacious intelligence it had on King. In the fall of 63, top bureau agents were instructed to edit together selections from their secret recordings of King's sexual liaisons. An agent packaged the tape with an anonymous letter and sent it to SCLC headquarters in Atlanta.
2: King's wife, Coretta Scott King, opened the package. Inside was a tape reel and a single-spaced, typewritten letter addressed to her husband. It called King evil and a filthy, abnormal animal. The letter was signed off with a directive. You are done. There is but one way out for you. You better take it.
1: The letter was written as though it came from a supporter of the civil rights movement. It called King a great liability to all of us Negroes. But King and his staff weren't fooled, nor was his wife. They rightly assumed that the tape and the letter came from the FBI. And they took it to mean he should commit suicide. King was distraught. He told a friend... They are out to break me. They're out to get me, harass me, and break my spirit.
2: King wasn't wrong. The FBI was constantly finding new ways to hound him. At one point, agents in Atlanta, aware that King was resting at a private location, triggered a false alarm that sent fire trucks screaming to that address in order to prevent him from sleeping. King lived with death threats, but the FBI made it harder for him to protect himself the Bureau routinely gathered intelligence about threats against King's life. But it was department policy to withhold that information from him. In spring of 1968, Hoover demanded an updated analysis of the threat King presented. In a 21-page report shared with President Johnson, the FBI made the case that King's Poor People's Campaign would lead to massive rioting, arguing that violence might well be the goal of the campaign.
1: King was still committed to nonviolence. But the FBI was correct that his thinking was expanding. In the last year of his life, King concluded that nothing short of radical moral surgery was required to heal the country. King also encouraged fellow black Americans to, as he put it, sign their own Emancipation Proclamation. Don't
0: let anybody take your manhood. Be proud of our heritage. As somebody said earlier tonight, we don't have anything to be ashamed of. But I want to get the language right tonight. I want to get the language so right that everybody here will cry out, yes, I'm black, I'm proud of it, I'm black and beautiful.
1: In March of 1968, just a few weeks before King's assassination, all FBI field offices were directed to, quote, prevent the rise of a messiah who could unify and electrify the black nationalist movement. The memo said King was a contender for this position. ¶¶ King's longtime confidant, Andrew Young, says by early 1968, King seemed to feel the weight of the world on
0: him. I think he always felt his own death was imminent
1: and that he didn't have a lot of time. King entertained the idea of returning to full-time ministry or perhaps taking a vow of poverty, giving up his few earthly possessions. And his sermons and speeches began to take on darker themes.
0: I say to you this morning... If you have never found something so dear and so precious to you that you will die for it, then you aren't fit to live. Make it, Make, it Make it clear. You may be 38 years old as I happen to be, and one day some great opportunity stands before you and calls upon you to stand up for some great principle, some great issue, Some great cause. You refuse to do it because you are afraid. You refuse to do it because you want to live longer. You are afraid that you will lose your job. Are you afraid that you will be criticized or that you will lose your popularity? Are you afraid that? somebody will stab you or shoot at your bomb your house, yeah. and so you refuse to take the stand. Well, you may go on and live until you are 90, but you are just as dead at 38 as you would be at 90.
1: What Martin Luther King really needed was a vacation.
2: He was pouring everything he had into rallying support for the Poor People's Campaign. He was traveling constantly, and he wasn't sleeping. Andrew Young says that had long been the norm for King.
0: Reverend Abernathy used to say that Lyndon Johnson may have a war on poverty, but Martin had a war on sleep. He'd want to stay up all night reading, and then he'd wake up at 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning You know, he never wanted to be alone. He always had something to talk about. He was a very high-maintenance person when you stayed with him
1: all the time. In the last year of his life, there was certainly a lot to keep King up at night. And he grew even more driven. There was a kind of
3: urgency that I had not seen before.
1: Longtime activist Bernard Lafayette was part of King's inner circle.
3: It was untiring in the sense that Martin Luther King felt he had to be disciplined, he had to be clear about what he was doing and more focused and there was a rush. And his pace was faster. It was like he was aware that he was running out of time.
1: But King did need time off. His friends and colleagues said so. His wife Coretta said so, and so did his doctor. After many appeals, King finally relented. In the first week of March, he went to Acapulco. His best friend and constant companion, Ralph Abernathy, went with him. They shared a suite at the El Presidente Hotel. It had a balcony overlooking the beach. Abernathy was hoping that the sun and surf would revive King.
2: But King was preoccupied. He spent most of the vacation trying to pass along all the information about the SCLC that he thought Abernathy would need to run the organization without him. King had recently changed the group's bylaws to make Abernathy his official successor. While they were in Mexico, King kept coming back to what he wanted Abernathy to do after he was gone.
1: King was there to rest, but he couldn't. Around 3 o'clock in the morning one night, Abernathy woke to find that King wasn't in the twin bed next to his. He thought to call hotel security, but he found King out on the balcony in his pajamas looking at the ocean. Ten years later, Abernathy would recount in congressional testimony what happened next.
2: King leaned over the balcony and pointed to a rock out on the beach and asked Abernathy, how long do you think it's been there? Centuries, Abernathy responded. I guess God put it there. What am I thinking about looking at that rock? King asked his friend. I really don't know. Tell me, he said. And then King began to sing.
1: It was Rock of Ages, a well-known hymn, in which the symbol of Jesus, as the rock, represents everlasting protection and salvation, a place to come if thee are naked for dress, a place to find grace. On that balcony that night, King and Abernathy sang together. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee.
0: Save from wrath,
1: Time King's Last March.
0: He has has deserted the March, he has left the March, and Martin Luther King has left the March.
1: King's Last March is a production of American public media and APM reports. Support for King's Last March comes from the Olseth Family Foundation, working to improve community through support of the arts, education, the environment, and the underserved.